Now, some of you that have not been to an ordination service uh, before, maybe learning a really bad lesson today, from now on you're going to associate ordination with the fact that three different sermons had to be endured during that day, uh, three different pastors preaching three different messages. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to show you something you've never seen from me before, which is a 20-minute sermon. I'm really going to make an effort at it today. And if it goes beyond that, I guess you can blame the Holy Spirit. I'm not really sure. But uh, in all seriousness, we're going to talk about the heart of a pastor today. And as we're ordaining Matt today, I want to say ordination is, is a gift that God has given to the church. Pastors don't ordain. Ordination councils don't ordain. The church ordains, recognizing the giftedness that God has given to an individual, his calling, the calling upon his life. Church has set apart men for ministry, and this is your work, church. So this is not about Matt today. This is ultimately about the glory of God and his good gifts to his church, and we want to encourage you today that this is part of God's work in, in your midst, God's good gift of men called to serve as pastors. And I want to talk today about the heart of a pastor. So we see displayed here in the qualifications for a pastor in First Timothy chapter 3. So if you're able to stand in honor of God's word this morning as we read these verses, First Timothy chapter 3, beginning there in verse 1. As the Apostle Paul is instructing this young pastor named Timothy through this letter, he gives us some instructions about pastors Now here they're referred to as overseers. You'll remember, as we've taught in in days past, overseer, elder, pastor. These are synonyms that are used in the New Testament for the same office, for the same uh, position of leadership. Overseer, elder, and pastor. And the qualifications are given here. And the Apostle Paul writes this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's be seated together. Father, as we walk through these scriptures and explore the heartbeat of those you have called to serve your church as pastors. Lord, help us to see the beauty of your design and the greatness of your desire for your bride. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. About a month from now, our church will have an opportunity to begin uh, recommending men to serve in this role of pastor, elder, overseer, as we've seen laid out here. 
We've not done this for a few years. We just elected our first elders three years ago. And as Matt shared, it has been an interesting shift going from one pastor to several pastors. But I believe it's so biblical what God has given us that, that multiple men be called to this, this leadership role of the elder, the overseer, the, the pastor. But what kind of men must these be in order for God's church to flourish? That's what I want us to look at today. Why does he give these qualifications for this particular office? Charles Spurgeon led a great pastor's college back in the 1800s through the Metropolitan Tabernacle, the first mega church, if you will, there in London, England. And he taught many pastors over the years, and there's a wonderful book called Lectures to My Students. And in one of those particular lectures, Charles Spurgeon makes a statement that I want us to hang our hat on today as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the qualifications for a pastor, the heart of a pastor, and what is required of those who would aspire to this office. Charles Spurgeon said, It is not great talents God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. What I want you to notice about these qualifications here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that very little of this has anything to do with a skill set. Very little of this has any connection whatsoever to a charismatic personality or natural born leadership skills. None of this has anything to do with how good looking a man is or how popular he is. It has everything to do with the character of a man who is being conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. In fact, in many ways, as we look at this list of 15 or 16 characteristics, depending on how you want to parse it out, as you look at this list, what you find is the 90 plus percent of this list is comprised of things that every Christian ought to be. That every follower of Christ ought to seek to emulate and live their life according to. This is a list that ought to be descriptive of Christ's church. Those who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So let's talk today about what is the heart of a pastor like? What should shepherds, those called by God to shepherd God's flock, what should they be like. And there's four good reminders here in this text this morning that I want to show you. First of all, in verse 1, we need to be reminded that shepherding Christ's church is about Christ and his calling. It's not too small of a thing for us to say this morning that it's all about Jesus. And we need that reminder today because even as pastors, we can get distracted and led astray into all kinds of things that are less than what Christ is. We can get distracted by programs and budgets and attendance numbers and, and how much money was in the offering plate on a given Sunday. We can get distracted by issues and problems that are arising within the church. We can get distracted by all kinds of things that, have, that may be connected in some way to the gospel, but they are not central to the gospel. Christ is central to the gospel. And so a pastor's primary passion must be for Christ. A pastor's primary passion cannot be for preaching. It cannot be for leadership. It cannot be for orchestrating programs or running the business of the church. 
The heart of a pastor must primarily be overflowing with passion for Jesus Christ. If that's right, then all the rest of the things will fall into their rightful place. When that's wrong, nothing else will be right. This is primary. And we say it's about Christ, but it's also about his calling on the life of a person. And as Matt said a few minutes ago, there are two aspects to this calling that I want us to be reminded of. First of all, we need to be reminded that this calling is internally assessed. Several years ago on this mission trip to Belize, as God began to work in Matt's heart and calling him to this type of role, at that time, Matt not even knowing exactly what it was, he and I have had many conversations over the last several years of exactly what does this calling look like. And even today, there, there are still some question marks as to exactly what God will ultimately call Matt to do. For now, he's serving as our interim youth pastor and an elder in our church, but God's given Matt a heart for missions, and, and, and there's so many things that could be played out out in them the days to come, but we know this. God has called. Matt has wrestled over that calling, and rightfully so. If there's not a wrestling, I would say this. If there's no wrestling, there's no calling in terms of the ministry. This calling is internally assessed. Secondly, we want to understand that this calling is externally affirmed. That's part of what we're here to do today. Now this group of pastors came together, five pastors, and we grilled Matt for several hours about his theology, about his doctrine, about his beliefs, about the way he would handle certain situations in pastoral ministry. And Matt did pass with, with flying colors. All of us agreed, the other pastors that were there, we wished that we had been as equipped as Matt was when we went through this particular process. But today, as the church comes together, it's the church's opportunity to affirm the calling of this brother, to recognize that God has set him apart, and that internal calling has led now to this external affirmation that we are making today, recognizing the work that God has done and worshiping him for it. That this calling is a fearful thing. As Matt confessed his own fear a few minutes ago, I would say for any man who comes to this place in their life where they're experiencing the call of God in their life, if there is not a fearfulness, they ought to be fearful. They ought to be fearful of this because it is a fearful thing. When God began to work this in my own life, on a mission trip to the area just outside Washington, D.C., many years ago, God led me on that night to Isaiah 41, verse 10, which says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Notice who the primary actor is here. This will not be about Matt and his skill set or his personality or his ability. It will be about the God who upholds. It will be about God who is righteousness and leads us in paths of righteousness. It will be about God who says, fear not, because I am with you. So it's about Christ and his calling. Secondly, this is about character more than competence. And I want to hammer this home today because far too often when we talk about successful pastors in the context in which we are serving, a lot of the talk that I hear is about competence. 
Well, he is just such a great preacher. He is just such a great leader. He has such a great personality. And we are talking about things that are more about competence, whereas the Word of God says, no, it's by and large about character. And if the character is not there, the competence will be meaningless. It doesn't matter how great a preacher he is. It doesn't matter how great a leader he is. It doesn't matter how wonderful his personality is. If the character of Christ is not being formed in him, then all the rest is a loss. And so, how do we assess character? Let me give you just three quick indicators from our text this morning. First of all, look at his marriage. Our marriages as men will be an indicator of our character. And so here he says he must be the husband of one wife. Now some have wrongly interpreted this to be a reference to divorce. By the way, there was a Greek word for divorce. Paul could have used it if he was talking about divorce. Literally here, the scriptures say he's a one-woman man. He has eyes for only his bride. He loves her and loves her well and sacrifices for her. He is an exemplary man in terms of his marriage. And I have known Matt to be that kind of a man. And therefore, I'm grateful this morning that he is set before us. Second indicator of character, we could say, is his manner. Now, this is laid out in various words in our text, beginning there in verse 2. The manner of this man. How does he interact with others? What is he known to be like? What is his reputation, if you will? He must be. Notice he didn't say he might be or he could be. He must be above reproach. Could be translated blameless. He must be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable and able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, not, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Most of these particular descriptors relate to how this man interacts with others. How is he known to be? By and large, the message is this. It's not about what this man can do. The question is, what kind of man is he? Therein we find the heart of one called to be a pastor. And thirdly, third indication of his character, look at his money. Not a lover of money. In another place, Paul writes, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I've said many times before, you want to learn something about the heart of a person, look at their checkbook. Where do they spend their money? I think that comes straight of what Jesus said in Luke twelve thirty four: Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's just part of the way that God created us. And the Bible talks much about money. And here it's so important for pastors to be above reproach in their financial dealings. Three indicators of his character. Thirdly, this morning, we need to understand that shepherding is about caring for the church. You say, well, pastor, where do you get that? It's right here in the text. Look at verses 4 and 5. He must, not he might or not he could, or if he doesn't have anything better to do, he he can spend some time on this. No, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, you might underline this, how will he care for God's church? You might underline that phrase, how will he care for God's church? Because that's the role. 
The role is caring for God's church. It's not just about preaching sermons. It's not just about leading God's people. It is about also caring for God's people. And so God looks to the home of the man. How is he leading in his home? If he's leading well in his home, then the indication is he might lead well in the church. But if he's not leading well in his home, that first institution that God gave to mankind was the home. If he's not leading well in his home, then how can he lead God's church well? He can't. And yet far too many pastors today have homes that are out of order. home is the training ground for pastoral ministry but what does caring for the church look like let me give you three quick things about how a pastor cares for the church first of all he cares for the church by teaching by exposition by exposition means that we are seeking to expose God's people to the Word of God, to lay bare the Word of God. When we stand before you to preach the Word of God, you do not need to hear my thoughts. You do not need to hear my opinions. And you certainly don't need to hear my stories. I'm not a very good storyteller anyway. What you need to hear is the Word of God opened and prayers offered that our hearts might be opened before God and before His Holy Word. What you need is to hear someone who will say, Thus saith the Lord, and to be transformed by the living Word of God. That's what pastoral ministry is about. Caring for the church by teaching the Word of God faithfully and allowing the Word of God to rule the teaching. Not using this, not using this Word as a diving board for my own opinions and stories and thoughts. That's what so much preaching is today. Read a verse, and then I'm never going to come back to that verse. I'm just going to use it as a diving board for jumping into a pool of my own opinions. And it's rubbish. It's garbage. And when that begins to happen from this pulpit, you need to call other pastors. Because you're not being cared for well. Teaching by exposition. Secondly, leading by example. I've already said some about this, but again, it's a character issue. Pastoral ministry is not a place where someone can say, do as I say and not as I do. It's leading by example. The character of Christ being born out, being exemplified in the life of the pastor that, that others might have an example to follow. It's what Paul said in another place when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. So in whatever ways you see the character of Christ in Matt, follow him. In whatever ways you're not seeing the character of Christ born in his life, then bring a godly rebuke. And I know this brother well enough to know he will welcome that. But there's this place where leadership in the church is by example. And then thirdly, how else do we care for God's church? It's caring by exertion. It's labor. It's hard work. And we all know what Jesus said. Cast your cares on me if I care for you. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's all so true, but it's still a burden. 
It's still a burden that pastors must bear. It's an exertion that they must have. It's the, it's the attitude of Galatians chapter 6 where it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If we're going to fulfill the law of Christ, it's going to be in burden bearing. It's that picture in Luke 15 of the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one, and he doesn't bring the one back, leading it by a leash. What's he doing? He's carrying it upon his shoulders. Pastoral ministry is about those hours of agonizing in prayer over broken marriages and rebellious children and lost friends and family members. Pastoral ministry is about bearing up on your shoulders the burdens of others, not as if you were some surrogate Savior. That's not the picture. But bearing those burdens to the Savior and asking Him to do what only He can do to bring salvation to His people. And finally this morning, and brother, perhaps this is the most difficult of the four, Shepherding God's people is about constancy in the crosshairs. I believe every pastor that is truly called of God walks around with a mark upon their back. The devil has every pastor in his sights and he desires nothing more than to bring destruction to that man because he knows what it will do to the church if he is successful. By the way, church, this is why we must pray for our pastors. Some of you remind me with regularity that you pray for me regularly and I want to commend you in that and ask you to continue. Notice two things in this text that he says about the ploys of the devil toward the pastor. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. You see, the recent convert is subject to self-regard. By self-regard, I mean pride. Pride is the default of the sinful nature. And for those who have recently turned from their sin and trusted in Christ, there is a place where pride is so much easier to fall into. And so Paul says, let your pastors not be recent converts. Let them have some years under their belt of walking with Jesus because we don't want them to be subject to pride. We know what Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, pride goeth before the fall, a haughty spirit before destruction. There's a place where all of us are subject to pride, but he's saying here, be careful of those who are even more subject to pride, who have not learned to walk in the humility of Christ and even the humiliation of Christ in some ways. Because the devil will easily take them down. And secondly, we see here that the the reputable Christian, he is not easily ensnared. Verse 7. Moreover, he must be, not could be or ought to be, he must be well thought of by outsiders. He must have a good reputation among those outside the church so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. The reputable Christian isn't easily ensnared. What does this lead us to conclude? 
Simply this, that the devil deeply desires to snag the shepherd. Because he knows if I can take the shepherd out, then it's going to cause destruction in the flock. If I can lead the pastor in the pathways of pride and sin, then I can wreak havoc on his flock. How many times have we seen this played out on the pages of the newspaper in recent days? One pastor after another falling into sin, coming away from Christ, allowing pride to creep in, and then destruction comes to the people of God. So church, pray for your pastors. And where God might give you opportunity to see an inkling of sin in those who are leading you, call us to account for it. If you hear us speaking prideful words, call us to account for it. I would rather receive your rebuke than the rebuke of my Savior when I stand before Him one day. Sometimes we're too slow to these things. Too quick to the, well, who am I to say such a thing? Honoring your leaders means loving them enough to pray for them and to bring a godly, gentle rebuke when it's necessary. And brother, I'll leave you with this thought. 1 Timothy four sixteen. One of my favorite verses the New Testament says, keep a close watch on yourself. And on the teaching, persist in this, continue in this, endure in this. Don't come up short on this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now don't misunderstand this verse. Only Jesus saves, but he utilizes those he has called into this role as a part of his saving work. And so, Matt, above all things, I would encourage you, brother, keep a close watch. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Understand that you are marked. Because you have stepped out into this role that God has called you to, the devil has you in the crosshairs, but he has no authority over your life. He can do absolutely nothing to you that your sovereign and loving Savior does not allow. And all of it will be for your good and the glory of His name.